Welcome to Talking Business Now. I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. Thank you for joining us. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. We're talking business now with Oscar Trimboli, a former marketing director at Microsoft and a deep listening expert. Trimboli is on a quest to create 100 million deep listeners in the world. In this episode of Talking Business Now, Oscar talks with us about what deep listening is, how to master it, and how to use it to increase productivity, improve processes, and grow your business. Welcome, Oscar. Hi, Kelly. I'm looking forward to listening to your questions. First question then, of course, it may be asking the obvious, but I want to make sure we're all on the same page. What is deep listening? Look, many people will be familiar with the term active listening, which is about focusing on the speaker and making sure we have eye contact with the speaker and we nod and we affirm and we say, oh, yes, I understand what you mean. And active listening is about being focused on trying to understand what the speaker's saying. Deep listening is another level of listening, even deeper. It's to help the speaker make sense of what they're saying. If we understand this very basic rule of neuroscience, we speak at 125 words a minute, but we can think at 900 words a minute. So the likelihood the first thing somebody says when they're speaking is what they mean. It's about 11%. So I don't know about you, Kelly, but if you went to a doctor and got an 11% chance of surviving a surgery, you'd certainly ask for a second opinion. Yet most of us, when we're listening, don't ask for that second opinion. And deep listening is helping that person get the other 800 words out of their head. Now, you recognized the power of deep listening while you were at Microsoft. And I'm curious about how listening helped you with your goals at Microsoft, and also why you eventually left a company like Microsoft to dedicate your career to understanding what you call the science and the art of listening. Sometimes you have a, a higher calling, a quest for me to create 100 million deep listeners in the world, because I quickly realized whether it was a Microsoft or a Vodafone or various other companies that I'd been in, uh, the cost of not listening in business and in personal life is is quite significant. In, in the workplace, it creates chaos, confusion, and conflict. And for me at Microsoft, what I learned really quickly was the fastest way to recruit staff, because this is a very competitive environment to get great staff, was to make sure that I was listening not only to what they were saying, but what they weren't saying became quite famous for asking anybody who would interview with me what five things you've heard from a customer that I don't know. So a lot of potential internal employees, for example, often spent much more time in customer call centers listening to customer problems, customer complaints, than they would if they just did their day-to-day jobs, uh, hosted team meetings in our customer call center. And we spent a lot of time in customer low 
applications. Now that might surprise a lot of people, but in large corporations, the closest most people get to customers is a couple of graphs on PowerPoint slides that summarize market research. So for me, it was always, how can we be listening not only to what's being said, but what isn't being said so we can get to what they mean. Why does this matter so much? Why is it more important than ever to be a deep listener, especially if you're a leader? From a listener's and a leader's perspective, the more senior you are, the more of your day you spend listening. So if you're a frontline people manager, you're probably spending about 63% of your day listening. And if you're the most senior executive in the company, you could be spending up to 83% of your day listening. It's interesting, despite the amount of time spent on listening, only 2% of people have ever been trained. Nearly 83% of senior execs, on the other hand, have been trained in how to speak well, how to speak with influence. For something they're spending more than half their day doing, they don't actually know how. They don't know what good looks like. And for every project that's run over schedule, for every project that's run over budget, for every great employee that's left, for every customer that's selected a competitor, at the heart of that is a conversation where somebody wasn't listening. And as a result, they left. There's a lot of very famous surveys around employees leaving organisations. And the number one reason why they leave their organisation is their manager And the number one reason why they leave their manager is they feel that no matter what they say, it hasn't been heard. So for organisations that want to increase market share and gain more customers, listening is the key. If you want to increase profitability by projects that run on time and on budget, then listening is the key. And then finally, if you want to get the most out of your suppliers, make sure you're listening to them as well. They're often forgotten. They're, They're called vendors or suppliers rather than partners, and there's a great opportunity there. So businesses that listen and listen beyond the words are hearing things customers might not necessarily say. Nobody ever asked Apple to develop an iPhone. They were listening to what was unsaid when it comes to customers. So finally, listening can be a great way to lead breakthroughs in innovations as well. Obviously, listening is a skill that any good business person would be wise to to try to develop. So tell us the difference, though, between a good listener and a great listener. You know, sometimes when it comes to business, people say, just be good enough, just be good enough. If you if you really spend all that time going that extra little mile, what it costs you to do that versus what you get on the return isn't that much different. So, so just strive to be really good. You say that you really should work to be a great listener, not just a good listener. What's the difference? Yeah, the productivity for a leader is quite significant. In in workshops where we talk about the difference between good and great, I always say, what would you be like if you could have four extra hours in your week back in your calendar? Because a lot of the leaders that I'm working with around the world struggle with a whole group of back-to-back meetings. They're going from one meeting to another, to another, to another. And what they all agree on is those meetings aren't as productive as they could be because there is a real absence of listening. And I think the difference between good and great is simply the ability to be comfortable with silence. In the West, our way of approaching silence, we use phrases like the pregnant pause, the awkward silence, the deafening silence. In the East, in China, in Japan, in Korea, in really 
ancient cultures, silence is okay. Silence is a sign of wisdom. It's a sign of authority. So the difference that I've found consistently between good and great listeners is their ability to hold silence, whether that's in one-on-one meetings or in team meetings, to allow that person who's speaking to say these magic phrases. Typically, if you hold a silence, they'll say words like, well, actually, what I should have said was, or thinking about it a little bit more, what I mean to say is, and when you hear these phrases, you know you're getting to the next level of listening. But more importantly, you're not wasting time coming back in three months' time where people didn't say what they needed to say because as senior leaders, they tend to tell us what they think we want to hear. And that's the productivity gap I always look to reduce. So if we can help people speak what they mean, all of a sudden people will speak up. They'll tell the truth. They'll tell what's important to them and project times and profitability will increase. I have a nice little box that you have available for people who want to learn more about deep listening. And in it is a book, a card deck as well. And in that book, you talk about the four villains of listening. Who are they and why are they villains? What I discovered in five years of writing on the topic of listening is no matter how much I wrote about what good listening is, People don't know what good listening is because they were never taught. And the minute I started to talk to them about what their listening blind spots are, these villains of listening, all of a sudden people lent in, they engaged more in the conversation. They told me they could totally relate. So right now while you're listening, think of the worst listener you know and let's figure out which one of the four villains of listening they are. The four villains are the dramatic listener the interrupting listener, the lost listener, and the shrewd listener. The dramatic listener loves your story. They listen intently and they listen for emotion because no matter what you say, I'm struggling with my boss. Oh, you think you've got a bad boss? My boss is even worse. Oh, you think you've got a bad merger? Mine was even worse. And this got brought home to me a story. One of my clients, Kathy, told me she went to her boss and asked her if she could go to her grandmother's funeral on a Wednesday and she was asking on a Monday. Well, 12 minutes later, her boss had finished saying to Kathy how difficult it was when her grandmother passed away and how difficult her funeral was and she still hasn't forgotten it. And then Kathy said at the end of the 12 minutes, so is it okay for me to go to the funeral on Wednesday? So the dramatic listener is somebody who's really passionate about listening to you, but it's just creating a platform for them to tell a bigger and better story. The interrupting listener is the most obvious, the most overt, and they come from a place of good intention. They want to fix, and so they're trying to give you solutions to the problem straight away, and they kind of interrupt you the minute you draw breath. In our database of research, most people, 32%, identify the interrupting listener as the most frustrating listener they come across. Then we've got the lost listener. These take two forms. Form number one is they're lost in their computer, their laptop, their iPad, their cell phone in the meeting, or they're turning up to a meeting where they're not quite sure why they've been invited to participate. And for the first 10 minutes of the meeting, they're saying to themselves, if I listen really hard, I can figure out why I'm here and how I can make a contribution. But they look really vague in the meeting and quite confused. So that's the lost listener. And then finally, the shrewd listener, disproportionately represented in sales professions, brief-taking professions like a doctor or an accountant or a lawyer. 
uh, equally disproportionately represented in human resources, IT, uh, finance and legal insider and organisation. A shrewd listener typically will have their hand on their chin and will nod intently. And unlike the interrupting listener, they won't interrupt you. But if you saw captioning or subtitles about what was going on in their head, they're having a laugh and they're saying, you think that's your problem? I can think of three other problems that you're going to have once I've solved this problem for you. It's so hard to be an expert. And while they're solving your problem, they're not listening to you. My question back to you is, I'm having a conversation with someone and I'm shrewd enough, I'm not trying to borrow one of your villains, but I'm aware enough, let's go with the word aware. I'm aware enough to know that the conversation's not being very beneficial because the person that I'm talking with falls into one of these four categories. How do I combat that to make the conversation more productive without being rude, without creating my own set of drama, but to still have a productive conversation with these types of folks? Just as important as listening is, there's a time to stop listening. Listening for too long is unproductive, and you've said that. In some cases, the reason we might get frustrated with a conversation is we don't have all the context. So a simple pause and ask, hey, I'm probably missing a bit of the backstory. Can we go back to the beginning? Or simply, so what is it that you need from me in this conversation is a really useful question to sharpen the way the speaker is engaging with you. Because a lot of the time, they're just happy that somebody's listening to them. And for some people, they just want to be heard rather than fixed. And for a lot of us, we go into a listening orientation to think about solution and progress. So a lot of the words you've given in this example, Kelly, is you just want to move it forward. By the way, for everybody listening, including you, Kelly, whichever villain you're related to the most, it's correlated very highly that that's probably your listening villain as well. Oh, no. <laughs> so for a lot of us listening... <laughs> but we're listening situational and relational. So we'll listen differently at home than we will at work. So I'm a shrewd listener at work and I'm a lost listener at home. So we turn up differently. We listen differently to uh, a, a, an accountant from a doctor. We listen differently to our parents, to uh, somebody who's a pol in the police force. These blind spots that we have depend on the conversation as well as the person we're speaking to as well. So Kelly, in that case, it's simply, I'd ask them, what is it that you need from me in this conversation? What you'll find, nine times out of 10, they'll simply say, oh, I just wanted to say it out aloud. They don't actually want a solution. And, and they feel not only heard, but listened to if you do that. So listening is just as important to edit as it is to listen out fully. Sometimes the most unproductive thing we can do is let people go on for the 12 minutes that Kathy's boss gave in that example about the funeral permission. You know, Kathy simply could have said at the two minute mark, the five minute mark, the seven minute mark, I just need to know if it's okay to go to the funeral on Wednesday. So sometimes listening for too long can be unproductive. Another rule that you talk about in your book that I found pretty fascinating is the 125-400 rule. Talk to us about that and why it's important. If we understand this rule, it explains why we're so distracted when we listen. We have peripheral vision, but we also have peripheral hearing. I speak at 125 words a minute, yet you can listen at up to 400 words a minute. 
And what happens is I'm speaking too slow. Uh, you could get bored. You could try and figure out what you need to have for dinner tonight or what's coming up on the weekend. And for most of you, it's happening right now while you're listening. You're saying, hurry up, Oscar, get to the point. And if we understand that we are programmed the neuroscience tells us we're programmed to be distracted to survive. So if we were walking through the savannah in Africa, it's great to hear that we're walking along with our family. It's just as important to hear a rustle in the bush to know if that's a tiger or it's a meal for us. Most of us don't realize we're distracted. We drift off for way too long. I'm not a perfect listener, but the difference between me and anybody else is I notice when I get distracted and drift away much quicker and come back into the conversation. So just knowing, Kelly, that we are going to get distracted actually helps us stay in the conversation for longer and ask questions that help us explore more context. So the 125-400 rule simply says that if we listen at 400 words a minute and the speaker's only going at 125 words a minute, we fill in the blanks. And most of the time we fill in the blanks with our own story about the story they're making up. Oh my goodness, Kelly's always an interrupting listener. Of course she would be. She's a broadcaster. That's their job to interrupt. But that's the story going on in my head. But it's not a true story. So I'm not paying attention to what you say while I'm drifting away. So if there's one thing you want to take away from our conversation today, Kelly, the 125-400 rule is the code that unlocks the difference between active listening and deep listening. How can you listen to what's unsaid? You referred to that a little bit earlier and, and didn't really explain what it means to listen to what's unsaid. So let's talk about that now. No, it sounds a bit like Yoda's turned up to the interview <laughs> when you say listen for what's unsaid. And in listening for what's unsaid, some simple phrases that we, they're so short and yet they're so powerful. While someone's talking and they pause, simply ask them these two questions. What else? Tell me more. If you ask those two simple questions, what people will do is they will go into their head, they will go into those 900 words They've spoken a hundred of them in the last minute. They're going to go back and find the other 800 words and then go, what matters from what I've said that makes sense? Not only for me as the listener, but for them as a speaker. So if we get comfortable exploring what's unsaid, we move our percentage of success, as we mentioned earlier, on 11% chance of success that the first thing they say is what they mean. If we just simply ask, tell me more or what else, we double our odds and our listening productivity increases by 50% if we simply ask them to tell you more. Because for most people, their thinking is like a washing machine full of clothes that are dirty, full of suds, and their mind is very agitated as they're shifting information around. Yet the minute they speak, it's like the rinse cycle clear water comes into the system and it starts to make sense for them. So if you help them listen for what they haven't said, you'll clarify their thoughts and the conversation will progress much quicker because you've actually taken it a little bit more time in the short term, but in the long term, you get to what they mean much faster. Your book is full of, of lots of very interesting sayings, but I'm going to ask you now to tell me more 
about some of them. What does it mean to say that everybody sees in color, but they listen in black and white? I love how you just asked me to tell you more. (laughs) I really appreciate your listening, Kelly. For most of us, listening is two-dimensional. Most of us only listen for what's said and maybe what we see. And deep listening has got five layers of listening, five different colors. Listening at level one is listening to yourself. Level two, listening to the content. Level three, listening for context. Level four, listening for what's unsaid. And then the ultimate move, level five, listening for meaning. Most of us can't even get to level two, Kelly. 86% of us in our 1,410 research database, people are stuck at level one because they're on computers, cell phones, iPads. They're not even present in the conversation. And for the remaining 14%, they all firmly admit that they get distracted by their own conversation, either before they come to the meeting or after the meeting as well. So for all of us, imagine moving from black and white TV to full technicolor. If you listen at five levels of listening, a whole range of the conversation opens up and we listen in ways we've never listened before. A simple example might be, and how to stop yourself drifting away. Notice if the people speak in detail or big picture. Notice if they speak about the past or the future. Notice if they speak about problems or solutions. Notice if they speak about themselves or a group or a team or a collective. If we listen at those levels, this rich nuance makes an amazing conversation because you can start to notice patterns, for example, in the dialogue. I was working with an organization in a manufacturing plant and they had this big issue and they didn't explain to me what it was while I was talking to them about listening. But have you ever walked into a room, Kelly, where the tension in the room is kind of really tense? You don't know what's going on, but something's going on. Yes. And for me, this <laughs> the tension was dripping from all the air conditioning ducts. It was leaking out of the door sills and the window sills. And I was speaking on this topic of listening and I turned to my host, the CEO, and I said, look, I'm going to have to pause. This was at the 20-minute mark. I said, I've got to pause because I can feel something and I need to change from our script. And he looked at me with uh, as if to say, are you joking? If he was a superhero, he would have laser beamed my head off with his eyes, you know, and, and exploded. Anyway, I said, look, please trust me. I, I just sense something's going on. I turned to the room and I said to them, Turn to, turn to your buddy next to you. There were 86 people in this room, Kelly. And I said, what movie is going on at this organization right now? And the room explodes into laughter and they all have a, a chat amongst themselves. And the managing director comes up to me and says, what are you doing? This is not on script. And I said to him, can't you feel the tension in this room? He says, I have no idea what you're talking about. I said, well, can you trust me for five minutes? He goes like, oh, well, I guess I have to. And he went and sat back down the chair. The only thing going through my head was, well, I'm probably not getting paid for this, so I'll have to move on. And the room exploded back like popcorn in, in a pot. And the movies were Die Hard with a Vengeance and Towering Inferno and Titanic. They were all disaster movies. And in that moment, the CEO came, grabbed me off stage, 
asked me to take my seat and stood up, took the microphone off me and said, I'm really sorry. Thank you, Oscar. You've heard something I've been struggling with for years. Can you help me, everybody, to not make coming to work for me a disaster movie? And in that moment, he handed back the microphone to me and he says, I don't know how you did that, Oscar, but in 20 minutes, you've heard something I haven't heard in three months. In our remaining time, what can you do to help us progress? Now, I don't even know what the issue is, Kelly. The issue is they have a whole bunch of stock stuck in quality assurance, about $10 million worth of stock, because of an issue in the system. I simply asked the group, who aren't we talking to? Where is the unsaid in the room? And the answer came back, the frontline workers. In three days, they solved a problem that was going on for three months. And one production worker who'd put in to the system a defect notice three months ago hadn't been listened to and precisely identified something that some very sophisticated chemical engineers had been spending three months trying to solve. If we listen to what's unsaid, all of a sudden, we can unlock so many things. In that case, millions of dollars were saved. But the question I'd ask you listening is, who aren't you listening to? Who are you ignoring because they're the frontline worker? Who are you ignoring that might have a differing opinion because they come from a differing profession? They might come from a differing culture. They might come from a differing age group. If we listen for what's unsaid, we can unlock a lot of potential in our workforce. But if we're not taking the time to listen for what's meant, we would never have found out that that was a disaster movie. They would never have dreamt of telling their boss that coming to work every day was a disaster movie. But because I could feel it in the air conditioning duct and ask them what movie it is, they had a permission slip to tell their managing director the truth. And that's the power of deep listening. And you talked earlier about the cost of not listening being lower productivity. In this most recent example that you gave, it was a profitability issue. And what I really liked about your book is that there is a stream of that that runs through. You don't just have a chapter on what is the cost of not listening, but you have a running sidebar, if you will, down many of the pages throughout the book that just keeps that conversation going, where you actually, I believe you surveyed people and, and asked them what, what's what been the cost of not listening. And so you're giving them real world examples and, and what has happened uh, when people don't listen. I thought that was a very interesting and helpful part of your book. There is a survey. Is that still active? Can our listeners go take that survey? They go to listeningquiz.com, listeningquiz.com. They can take the survey and that'll help them understand which which thing villain they, they might be as well. I, I think for a lot of listening literature is grounded in one-on-one dialogue. I'm really obsessed about the commercial cost of not listening because in, in all the research I've done, there were two people who presented papers at completely different conferences in 2005 who precisely predicted the global financial crisis and how it would play out. But because one was a medical doctor and one was an electrical engineer, they were completely ignored, although they precisely described the problem. And the electrical engineer was Indian. He was a vegetarian. And he said that the plumbing system of the global banking system was blocked up. And when this sewage explodes, it's not going to smell pretty. And he was presented this at a central bankers conference at Jackson Hole, Wyoming in August 2005. 
and whether it was Hank Paulson, who was the head of the U.S. Treasury, or a number of global investment bankers, they all laughed at his presentation and they said all his findings were unfounded, but he was deeply thoughtful in his research. And another guy, Dr. Michael Burry, did exactly the same and line by line went through every subprime loan in the United States in 2005 and figured it wasn't sustainable. So whether it's that or the BP Deepwater Horizons oil rig off the coast of Louisiana, billions and billions of dollars are at risk if we don't listen. For most of us, though, at work, billions of dollars are not at risk. But the cost of not listening means every day is back-to-back meetings. Every day is meetings where we have to repeat ourselves because we weren't heard the first time because people weren't paying attention. If we get the one-on-one conversations right and then the team conversations right, the rest will look after themselves. But most of us are uneven conscious that we aren't listening. So research matters to me because it is a form of listening at scale, Kelly, and it's critical that I have the evidence to back up what Mm -hmm. I'm saying because my consulting gives one perspective, but the research gives another the first question in every race in every workshop i run is please tell me the cost of not listening to you and then tell me that what you struggle with when it comes to not listening to others and they're so closely correlated uh it's scary so uh, we've spent the 20th century learning how to speak if we can spend the 21st century learning how to listen we'll balance out that communication equation because communication is 50 percent speaking and 50% listening. So if we can improve our listening just a little bit more, we'll make the world a really different place, especially the workplace. Well, and as I said earlier, when I introduced you, you're on a quest to create 100 million, that's a big number, 100 million deep listeners throughout the world. And you have a variety of tools that people who are interested in becoming a deep listener can use. Talk to us about some of those tools and how they can access them. If you visit listeningquiz.com, that's the starting place for all of those tools, whether it's the deep listening book designed to be read in under 60 minutes. I had a big fight with my book publisher and I said, I want to have a book that people read and apply, not something that collects dust on a bookshelf. So many people refer to it more than once. There's a set of playing cards that are organized into the five levels of listening. And these playing cards are 10 in each of the five levels. And they give you a series of questions to either ask yourself or ask the speaker to improve your listening at that level. Some people practice with one card a week. So that covers you off for the year because there's 50. Some people practice the same card for one month. And some people use the card to do tiebreakers in meetings when the teams are struggling with binary alternatives. We have the deep listening jigsaw puzzle as well, uh, an amazing game research with adult learning theorists as well as global academics in the field of listening. We also have the Apple award-winning podcast, Deep Listening, where we interview personal and professional listeners, judges, journalists, FBI hostage negotiators, air traffic controllers, as well as suicide counsellors, deaf interpreters, palliative care nurses, and they all provide at least three listening tips from their professional life to help you become a deeper listener. So that's the starting point, Kelly, if you visit listeningquiz.com and the gateway to 
moving from a distracted listener to a deep listener will open up for you. Listeningquiz.com. Go out there and find all of these tools that Oscar Tromboli has made available to you. Oscar, thank you so much. It's been, I think, a great conversation today. I have enjoyed listening to you, and hopefully I have learned a few things that can help put me on the path to becoming a deep listener. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thanks for listening. And I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. I appreciate you tuning in to this episode of Talking Business Now. If you'd like to suggest podcast guests or topics or to subscribe to the Talking Business Now newsletter or podcast, please visit my website at interrobangsolutions.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-R-O-B-A-N-G solutions.com. Interrobangsolutions.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.